Welcome to Confessions of a Rock and Roll Cameraman Podcast Episode 2, Medley of the 80s. <laughs> I'm your gnarly host, Pat Canavan, in conversation with rock and roll cameraman Tony Wanamaker. <laughs> I, uh, I feel so underdressed, Pat. I love your lid. You look like the new guitarist for Kiss, but give me a sec, folks. Uh, while we're hot, so the requisite mullet, because we are going into the 80s. And now I transform my lovelies into Nigel, the drummer. Really. Wait a minute. That's not your real hair. <laughs> no, man. No, and I miss having this. But anyways, there we go. All right. So this is my real hair. But for the other episodes, I put on a short wig. So I just want to let you know that. Now, uh, confessions. <laughs> <laughs> confessions of a rock and roll cameraman. Yeah, man. Say it out loud. Confessions of a Rock and Roll Cameraman. Now, how are you going to get that on the Twitter, on TikTok, on Facebook, on Instagram, WhatsApp, on Pinterest? Where are you going to get that? You can't. But what we want you to do is subscribe to the mailing list on our website. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and the way to get to the website really quickly is to go to Corn RC, Confessions of a Rock and Roll Cameraman.com. CornRC.com. So here we go. Ready? Say it with me. CornRC.com. Confessions of a Rock and Roll Cameraman. Oh, wow. Right there. Dot com. That's us. Right there. All right. So Please thanks. have a look. Yeah. So when you get a chance, Come to our website, subscribe mm. to the mailing list or sign up to the mailing list. We're going to send you out a copy of Medley of the 80s, man. And the theme song. We're going to send you a, an MP3 of the theme song. So don't delay. Do it now. And uh, let's get into it. Let's get into it. So. Tony, the nineteen. <laughs> I'm, I'm working around the hair, but we're good. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, <laughs> I love. It. I, I get an impression more of Kiss, but we're uh, here. Medley's of the '80s. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the '80s. Yeah. Let's talk about the vibe of the '80s, the feel of the '80s. Well, we talked earlier a little bit about you know this this new video culture, this thing. Yeah, you know, music videos, right? Sure. And and I, I would argue that there were a couple of key figures that really, to me, sort of stand out. And are emblematic, if you will, of the 80s. And that is uh, Cyndi Lauper, uh, Billy Idol, Duran Duran, uh, The Clash, uh, Flock of Seagulls, and Madonna, for example. And I, I kind of felt at, that they represented this, if you will, the zeitgeist of the 80s. They were sort of the glee club, if you will. But uh, they're really representational uh, of those. And we can kind of break it down why they meant so, so much to the 80s. I think that was a good group. Because it kept uh, the walls decorated of the kids. <laughs> well, because of our bedrooms, they were representational. For example, uh, Cindy Lauper and Madonna. You know, uh, they were both independent, free spirited women with with a really interesting, you know, uh, visual appeal. But they had little differences. You know, yeah. Cindy Lauper was really the, the first new wave feminist. She was coming out and supporting her song. Uh, really suggested uh, an empowerment for young women. And well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Girls just want to have fun? Empowerment? Girls what are you talking just, about? As, yeah, it, it, exactly. You would think, well, that's a kind of a, a, a fluffy song. There's not a lot of substance in it, right? Right. However. I mean, and, wasn't it all about the 80s? 
Well, there's some of that. And I think you could argue that Madonna's videos represented that, like like a virgin touching for the very first time. Right. You know, right, and right. that that really caused an outcry because, you know, she was the rebellious one, if you will. And she was explicit and appealing. However, you know, uh, this was a time it was during presidency of Ronald Reagan. And oh, at yeah. that time, it was a very conservative world. Right. Yeah. And there was uh, they called part of the party, the uh, Reagan Democrats. So they were really very conservative. So a couple of things at that time. Madonna's come out being explicit about girl power, actually teasing folks with the belt buckle saying boy toy. Uh, plenty of innuendo in that. Uh, but she was challenging everybody. Sidney Lauper was challenging. As, uh, actually, last month, he was the first woman, first female artist to uh, have one billion views on YouTube. That's amazing for the song, uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Wow. And you might think that is sort of a vapid kind of song, but really, you know, listen to her argument to defend it. In 2014, Cindy Lauper said this to The Atlantic Magazine. Okay. She said, defending her vision of the song, of course. And she said, quote, it doesn't mean that girls just want to fuck. It means girls just want to have the same damn experience as any man could have. Now think about it. That's early 80s. And for a lot of the young women, especially our new Go-Go staff, the three young ladies working right. on cameras, sure. uh, this this was novel. This was a new thing. We're pushing Vanguard here. Yeah. Uh, so she kind of did it, and she, meaning Cindy Lauper, did it for uh, a sort of a feminist movement. I think it was really uh, uh, camouflage, but it was there. Yeah. And uh, Madonna was overt and out there and said she's going to push boundaries and challenge people. And I think that was exciting. So... You know, uh, you really, there's substance in the material. It wasn't vapid. It wasn't banal. Right. It really had meaning. Well, this that's what's interesting because the, the feel of the 80s was very, um, it was somewhat repressed awakening. It was almost compressed awakening. Not quite what the 60s was, yeah. which, which became sort of an yeah. overt well, experience, but the '80s were more of like a, a techno to me because you know I was I was growing up then. Yeah, I was uh, contributing artistically then. Yeah, so like the '80s to me was like yeah, almost like a pressure cooker, yeah. almost the next level of freedom, and the next level of freedom was was sexual. Yeah, and awakening yeah. certainly for women, and yeah. more not not like the '60s awakening for women. But the 80s awakening for women was a bit more yeah. and, and, empowered. And the music video, Pat, provided people an, a new type of way to present themselves. So right. when you look at certain characters, and uh, we have a big fan here filming right now of Duran Duran, and Trina's a huge fan. And what was unique about them, they kind of played on the Brian Epstein formula, right? Where they had suave, current, contemporary-looking guys yeah. wearing what was indicative of the time. And the Beatles looked pretty sharp when they first came out. All coordinated, all the same. Yeah. Kind of safe for their daughters to, to listen to, uh, as opposed, for example, to the Rolling Stones. So Duran came, Duran Duran came out. And it's an interesting story. We were at the uh, the original 99 Queen Street West building. It was early days, just before we launched Much Music, Pat. So 1983, we get a call. That, so wait, uh, wait a minute. So it's 1983. You're yeah. at 99 Queen Street East. That's correct. And yeah. you... Uh, you're using the, the show, the new music, I guess. We're in that transition phase. We're just about become the newly minted Much Music National Music Station. Yeah. Right? Okay. Music station. And uh, so, yeah. So we get the word that uh, we're going to get uh, two of the players. We're going to get uh, uh, Nick Rhodes, who is the keyboardist and founder of Duran Duran. Yeah. And John Taylor, which was an archetype of a, of a Hollywood 
movie lead. Oh, yeah, right? he was the guy. He was a heartthrob in as much as the lead of uh, AHA was. I mean, these people, they, they had the right look, and this was a medium to exploit that look. It was perfect. Oh, sure. Timing was great. Uh, so here we are in the, the little 99 Queen Street West building, and we have two security guards, right? We got a little fella, Jimmy, and Jimmy's too old, uh, a little too big, uh, a little too slow, but he's Uncle Jimmy, and we love him. He's a great guy. He, he heart does Manhattan. What can you say? I love Jimmy. And then Neil, Neil looked like he was with Three Dog Night, and he had a mustache, porn mustache, and uh, it was amazing. So I set that up because uh, we take Duran Duran, Pat, upstairs to the uh, third, uh, no, I believe fourth floor, and we had just punched a hole into the building adjacent to us because we were going to commandeer that space and make that the new Much Music World Headquarters. It's going to be a studio. And so I punched the hole, took the band in, yeah. and did the interview. Fantastic. Yeah. Great guys. Girls are cooing, going nuts over John Taylor. They can't get enough of this guy, right? You know, he's, he's the cock of the walk today. And so they make their way through the building down to Brad Giffen's radio booth, which was a closet. And they shot uh, his, his program. And so we had them hustle at the back. But before they went, we had throngs. I've never seen this. It was the first time. It was like my experience of a Richard Lester movie, Hard Day's Night. Wow. Beatles and Black and White Pandemonium. Beatlemania, man. And we had a little window. I didn't know what was going on, but I didn't know we were going to be overwhelmed. This is when, certainly, personally, I came to realization the impact we were having on, on the nation. I had no idea, you know? And love my hair. Uh, and I look outside, and there's throngs of people, and we're shutting down the TTC now. And now there's thousands of people outside. So to mitigate this, this problem we could have with, with, with a large crowd, Duran uh, Duran were willing to go up and stick their heads out the window and wave to them and, and, and appease them. Okay. And so we were almost overwhelmed and we had two little security guys trying to, to guard the place. So they exited <laughs> at the back finally. And, uh, and then everything at that point changed because we had to get real security. You had one little piece of a little glass door, one little lock, and we were, could have been overwhelmed if anybody actually knew. Right. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That's fascinating because really when you think of the eighties, you, you don't think of like a mania. You don't think of, like that overt running down the streets mania that you got in the 60s. Uh, yes and no. It was interesting because I, when I talked to Cindy Lauper, for example, yeah. uh, that was we did at the Masonic Temple, which later became the, the headquarters for MTV2 in Canada. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, Cindy was interesting, Pat. Uh, she had beautiful shock of this bright red hair, a little bit of orange, I thought. Oh, yeah. And, uh, or was it orange with red? I'm not sure. But it was loud, loud and proud. And... Uh, she had a little bit of a Queen's accent, so a little nasally when she talked, but she's really full of life, you know? And, uh, and she was cute. And it was pretty straightforward. It was just really great seeing her with a Queen's accent fight Kim Clark Champness, who was a VJ, and he had caught a British accent. So they were having a fight of the accents. Some were dropping ease and some were sustaining ease. And I didn't really understand it, but I, to me, it was good fun. Uh, 10 years later, yeah. 10 feet from where I was doing Sydney Lauper, I'm shooting now the new cadre of, of MTV stars. And one of those guys was a young guy called Dan Levy. Oh. And he went on to do a little show later called Shit's Creek. Fantastic. Lovely guy to work with, I might add. And I've worked with comedians. His dad, Eugene Levy, knew, knew I was a mark and used to kill me all the time. And he had to put the camera down because I couldn't hold it anymore. He had me laughing so bad. And, and the only other person to do that to me was Robin Williams. Uh, he did that to me backstage in Masonic, not Masonic Temple, San Cret, Massey Hall. And when he started into me, I fell apart. And really late when I walked away, there was a puddle with my name on it. 
Wow. Funnel of joy. <laughs> Funnel of joy. <laughs> Tears of laughter in the ground. <laughs> well, that's great. So so Duran Duran, yep. awesome band, big. But you you also, like, you must have been with other bands. Uh, what about, like, say, The Clash? Did you, well, did you ever meet up with The Clash? And thank you for asking. The Clash was one of my, really, my first significant interview with the new music. Yeah. First time I was really working with a big band. <clears throat> Pardon me. And what was unique was was at the Cine Grandstand. That's where all the big shows were held, late seventies, early eighties. Mm-hmm. I was held in the Cine Grandstand. You know, it was a, it was a, it was the venue that was held in the late seventies, throughout the eighties, and a little bit of the nineties. Oh yeah, rock! I was so, there many times. Pat, first time I started to learn, folks, what a rider was. And when they wanted to do this interview, they said, "Yeah, we'll do the interview." Reluctantly, they never do interviews. So what they did was they said, "We have to have a Porsche." <laughs> My boss, John Martin who finds anything, managed to find a silver Porsche. We put a silver Porsche in the frame. So they have that. I'm looking at the CNE band shell in the background, so I got it set up. And then the boys go, yeah, man, let's finally do the interview. So when they do the interview, they line up, and you, my friend, are the camera, and they line up like this. So I have Joe Strummer, lead singer, and Mick, right, Jones, the other guitar player, and they're like this. And in the middle of it, the, the Porsche. And I thought... I got the genius in that. It was incredible because it was spontaneous and it was a essentially a rock and roll interview. And it oh, worked. Right. And John Martin got more hits on that, that interview, because it's so unorthodox, than we would have did a standard contemporary type of Right. Amazing. It was amazing to see it. And I, I just at that point I understood the genius in what John Martin was doing. Huh. It, it crystallized in my head. But yeah. there's other people, Pat, that, that I work with. And you mentioned earlier uh, Billy Idol, I think. Yeah, let's talk about Billy. Sure. Uh, Billy Idol. I was a huge fan. I mean, this guy comes out of a fan Generation X. He kind of was the post-punk era, if you will. And everybody's familiar. A lot of folks are familiar with the song White Wedding, for example. Yeah. Uh, earlier than that, you might have heard Dancing With Myself. Great hit. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> my nine to five, imagine folks, is working with rock stars and, and shooting music concerts. So you're always looking to be 90%, 95 but sometimes I'm not on my game. And right. I showed up at a uh, and Records on Young Street at a, uh, a record promotion for Billy Idol. Okay, so all right, let's let's yep. just set the mood here. Is Billy Idol's big? Yep. Oh yeah. And so there's a crowd. Yep. And it's probably summertime because it's rock and roll and it's and it's whatnot. Yep. Right. Yep. So it's hot and sunny. And and is this weekend after hours kind of thing for you? Is this, well, this not, this is not regular for it, you? Well, you're right. And I recall it was a weekend event that happened because I was a little, uh, I was a little pissy. Uh, I had shown up, maybe I was late. I, I thought it was because it was hot and humid that day. Yeah. It was really, I think, because I was working the weekend. I was kind of pissed I had to do the Saturday, right? Or Saturday or the Sunday, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, but anyways, I show up in a Records. And it's cool because, hey, man, you, you went to a retail store to buy records. It was yeah. kind of neat. And that was right beside... Sam, so it was a real interesting little cloister of, of uh, a record store. So you had A&A Records, Sam the Record Man, and Across the Street Sunrise. So anyways, I made my way down to, uh, to, to A&A's with my wife. My wife is my Yoko Ono. She's always with me. So she shows up. Rhonda is big and pregnant, man. She's carrying one of our babies. So, so she's got, dare I say, baby melons, right? She's big. Big bump, big melons. She's there. Well, <laughs> that, atten- that attracts the attention of Billy Idol. I find that amazing because there was all kinds of punk princesses there with plunging tops, right? Right. And Billy signed me, Billy signed me. And Billy just didn't want to stay, Pat. 
at the, at the dais. He got up from the table. He's out there and he's charging the sign. He's got a pen in hand and gone. Oh, you can eat buffet. Pretty much. Buffet. I love it. 100%. So I come in after a while because I got tons of B-roll and I see him about to trying to sign my wife's boobs. I'm offended. I'm not in a good mood. I'm not being professional. Okay. I call out to him. Hey, fuck, what are you doing, man? And not polite, not good. Nice day for a white melon. No, it wasn't. And, and Billy, I, I owe you an apology. Uh, and by the way, congratulations on the birth of one of your grandchildren. It's pretty cool. Just last year, he's a proud, proud grandpa. Wow, Billy yeah, Idol, man. grandpa. So yeah, sorry. So we're close to Fisticus. Uh Gladly nothing transpired. And his manager jumped in between us. And he still signed an autograph for us. And so he didn't sign my wife's boots because I wouldn't let him. But... Anyways, I go to sign this. It's totally illegible. You can't really get it. But right there's Billy Idol. This is Rhonda, right? And I mentioned another fella, if I may segue. At the back here, look at that. And this was a huge, huge album right here. Culture Club, colored by numbers. It's uh, There's Boy George there. Okay. He signed that for me. George O'Dowd. Right? I'm sorry. So, yeah, you meant Boy George. Uh, probably when you were, it was still the new music. It wasn't quite much music yet. Um, no, you're right. As a matter of fact, uh, sorry. Yeah, I'll take it right back to you. They don't work like they used to. Um, yeah, so no, I had a chance of meeting him in 83, and it was really great because he had an album out called Color By Numbers, and it was shooting through the roof. Oh, yeah, it was huge. And what was fascinating about him was he really played on this idea of androgyny. It yeah. was amazing at the time to see somebody dressed in drag throughout the day. It's something you didn't often see. And it was deliberate on George O'Dowd's behalf, a.k.a. Boy George. Right. Uh, because at that time, I, I, dare I say, homosexuality was completely taboo in the 80s. Oh, yeah. No, we, I totally remember. Like in high school, anything that sort of smacked of that was kind of like, oh, that's a bit weird. And then yeah. other people would say, well, that's just because they want the publicity. Yeah. But really... Yeah. You know, no, he was great, it, and he was really leading the way, you know, to, to claim that voice. Uh, I worked at New Music. Uh, we were really an equal opportunity employer. We were open to all kinds yeah. of artist guys. We were crazy, and uh, it made sense. So it was really great to see what he did. Uh, as a matter of fact, Pat, he was nominated <clears throat> in uh, in 84, you know, much started, for a, a Juno Award, huh? right, uh, as well as winning the Grammys. But I love, I, I got to tell you what he, he, when he won an award for the uh, Grammys, uh, for the next best new music video and in Canada, he won international album of the year. Yeah. Uh, he said, quote, via this on the satellite, I love it. Quote, he said, thanks America. Uh, you've got style, you've got taste and you knew, you, and you know, a good drag queen when you see one. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, it's amazing because this is the crossroads of pop culture and this is an yeah. example yeah. of planting a seed of pop culture then. Yeah. And, and now look at, Look at how the, the world has embraced yeah. uh, a shadowy part of our sexuality and a shadowy part of the world that really existed, yeah. but nobody wanted to, but, you know, to say to, anything to about it. To your point, Pat, a lot of times when we're young listening to music, I, I didn't see those themes. I heard a great melody. I heard something inspired with a little bit of reggae, Calypsonian in it, right? Sure. I understood those threads. I liked West Indian music. And so when I heard, you know... Uh, do you really want to hurt me? I thought, what a lovely song. I had no idea. And you start seeing, and I just thought, wow, great marketing. I love the colors. I like what he represented for the eighties. Uh, little did I know then, and I know a lot now that uh, he was really hitting us with a message. And as a right. matter of fact, Pat, I met him years later and saw a different side of him, which is great. I saw him as George O'Dowd. I was on a, on a, on a flight crossing the pond, <laughs> heading my way to London yeah, yeah. Uh, with Ed Mervish. 
Honest Ed, there he wow. was. And he owned uh, uh, the Old Vic Theater in the, in, the, in the London's West End, which is their theater district. Yeah. And uh, I flew over there with he and his wife and Kim Clark Chamness and went to see the opening of Hair for his new theater. Uh, Hair didn't do so well, but the after party was amazing. Went to the after party. I'm sitting beside Roger Daltrey, the who, and allegedly the new James Bond. And it was really quite, uh, quite a thing because people were going, it's the blonde James Bond, right? And, uh, but, uh, it wasn't Daniel Craig. He was too young. Right. Uh, this was Sean Bean and he ended up becoming 006 with Piers Brosnan. Brosnan got the job. But anyhow, the after party, too loud, too many people, pandemonium. Right. Perfect party to go to. I will walk in the door, Pat. And this guy comes up and grabs me. Right. Immediately sends me up to the DJ booth. Like, wow, I got drinks and cigar. It's crazy. I'm not even supposed to be smoking here. I'm going to, right. Sweet. I happened to be George boy, George. I didn't recognize him back because he had, uh, he was bald at the time, right? Lovely guy, spun some music, bought drinks, told stories. Uh, the reason he called me over, man, he thought I was Midjure. Midjure. Midjure was the lead singer for uh, the band Ultravox. Okay. You also, you actually, people go, ah, I'm not sure. Ultravox, Hardcore, yeah. new waivers will get it. But if you've ever heard of, do they know it's Christmas? A little song in 1986 that yeah. went through the roof. Midjure, we co-wrote that with a guy named Sir Bob Geldof. Midjure? Yeah, so he, he says, he looked like Midjure. And I thought, well, that's, that's really great. Thanks, mate. And, and I knew of it, and it was appreciative, but didn't really hit home until now. <clears throat> I, another six years later, I'm at the Horseshoe Tavern. You know that place with the checkerboard floors? Oh, yeah. Gord Downey talk I about? played there a Love couple him. of times myself. You, you know it, man. You played there. Uh, and so I'm, I'm at the bar and I'm scouting it for a music video. We've shot a lot of music videos there. And uh, this guy is flabbergasted. He calls my attention. Anyways, in discussion, I find out. He goes, wow, you look like my boss. I go, your boss? He's your boss. He goes, Midjure. I go, no way. So I told him about the Boy George story. And he says, well, you got to meet my boss. Come on down. I just put yeah. myself in the eye. He says, come on down. So I went down into the basement of the Horseshoe Club. And uh, I'm familiar with it. I shot Ronnie Wood's interview down there. It was kind of a cool place. Dark and dank, kind of foreboding. Rock and roll. Great. And uh, there's my doppelganger. There's my lookalike. There's did a lot sure. of these gobsmack. And it was pretty cool. Uh, I told him about the story. He went on to do his concert. I split. Uh, awesome exchange with, uh, with Boy George. Yeah. Cool. Terrific. Yeah, man. Well, that's the 80s. But you forgot the most important thing, I think, when we talk about the, the videos at the time, the band Aha, I cite as the sort of real seminal, the crux of the 80s. And that being, there was a fellow at the time, a director named Steve, and I got it right here, good old Steve Barron. And the reason I mentioned him, he did two videos at the time. He did the Aha video, which was a rotoscoping technique, which is basically drawing uh, pencil sketches over a film frames. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very oh, yeah. time consuming. And the other side, he did Dire Straits, right? And that Dire Straits song he did was... Uh, using uh, the first computer graphics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody remembers that song, I Want My MTV. Uh, it should have been I Want My Much Music, but we'll live with that for now. Okay. Um, but that was incredible because it did both of them at the time, and they really kind of set the tone. And, and that's really, and that for me was the mid-'80s already because I was in L.A. at the time, mm -hmm. 85, at the Billboard Awards. And that's how fast the 80s was going by me. I had no idea. I really didn't benchmark it until middle of it, and I went, wow, this has been quick. Because I was living the moment. Wow. Yeah. So you were at the Billboard Awards in L.A. Yep, that's correct. 
And and you bumped into him, you, or you were introduced to him? No, I love it. So here we got this this huge trending director at the time, right? Yeah. And uh, of course, we did the interview in the parking lot. Would you go? Seemed to make sense. Amazing. But it worked. Yeah. And that was that was kind of my take on the '80s. And I look back, I go, amazing how quickly it went by. And I'm really blessed that I had a chance to be at the crossroads with a lot of these individuals. Yeah. Well, certainly, like you see the the planting of. Um, a consciousness and sexual revolution. Mm -hmm. You see the expansion of women in the industry, yep. a much needed expansion of that in the industry. And yeah, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. All the things that happened. And this was still sort of new music time, not fully into your much music days quite yet. No, I just got to take a quick call here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I actually, my security code was 007 on this, right? Uh, yeah. Hello, operator. It's the past. <laughs> I'd like to go back. Anyway, yeah. uh, thanks for uh, today. I yes, mean, very informative. So this medley of the 80s, yeah. again, now you've written yeah. a parcel of so many pages. Yes. It, it talks about the uh, time with AHA. It talks about Duran Duran, your time with uh, Madonna or your experience with Madonna. Thank you. Boy George. Yes. And and if people come in and sign up to our mailing list, you're going to send that to them. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of an exciting giveaway. The book, as you know, Confessions of a Rock and Roll Cameraman, uh, selected essays from the crossroads of pop culture. Yeah. And what we've done, and, and Pat's uh, suggestion here, was that we're going to give away uh, this essay. And it chronicles a period between 1982 uh, to 2019. And it highlights, again, uh, the medley of characters, if you will. Uh, that the Glee Club of the '80s that we we talked about. Yeah, and uh, you're not used to having long hair anymore, are you, buddy? Doesn't taste like it should. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and so I'll be really pleased to give this away. So yeah, do write in. Uh, you're going to dig this, and it's a sample of uh, the 56 essays which compiled the book. Awesome. Well, thanks for tuning in to episode two of Confessions of a Rock and Roll Cameraman podcast, and uh, like us and subscribe to us. And we'll see you in the next episode. Do I look like Nigel the drummer? <laughs> I think so. Anyway, uh, that's it for me. Right, I'm then. Pat Canavan. I'm Tony Wanamaker. Tony Wanamaker. And we'll see you next time.